0: Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Today, for the new year, we're starting with the heart. And I just want to say, first of all, well done for starting your new year, the the first Sunday, the every seven days of coming together to worship God through Jesus Christ with God's people, to honor him and to learn from his word. I just want to say well done to start with a heart of worship for the year. And that iconic, that's just such an iconic throwback of a song. It's classic Americana. Uh, It was Neil Young's only number one hit, by the way. Was he expressing the desire to find a partner, a person with a heart of gold? Like, I've been around a lot of people I can't trust, and I've been hurt. Can I find someone with a heart of gold? Is that what he was saying? Was he saying, I'm traveling around hoping to find that maybe at the heart of the world there's a heart of gold? Can I find that in spite of the pain and things that are wrong, is there a heart of gold somewhere at the center? Or, he mentions external travels was he in his in his travels and his ways was he also on an interior journey saying that that can i find or could could perhaps it be produced in me a heart of gold that's trustworthy well i don't know which of those meanings neil young intended but i want all three i want to be with people in 2020 who have a heart of gold somehow for me and whom i can trust will love me well i i i want to discover God's heart at the center of all things and I really would like to be known as a man with a heart of integrity who's trustworthy with other people and with my work and yet as, as Neil Young says there in the song uh, but I'm getting old like the journey for all of that is wearying and, and here at the new year we don't want to begin with weariness but we do want to look for that heart, and we're going to start with the heart today. And today we're beginning our January series called Start, and we're going to learn about important new starts in our own lives and restarts through David, who is the most named. His name is used the most often of any other person in the Bible. And when we speak of the heart and starting with the heart, it's because David, while being known for many things, as a poet, a warrior, a lover, a friend, a sinner, a saint. But the number one fact about David given in the Bible is this, summarized in Acts 13, 22. God testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And, and it turns out that looking for a heart of gold, if I can extend it just a bit further, David in the Bible ultimately learned to tune his heart to God's own heart. The only continuously reliable heart of gold in existence. And when we look at David, we're going to see someone who we want to be at his best. When we learn about David the rest of this month, we're also going to see someone we wish we weren't. But we are. A mess. (laughs) But David learned how to still be and live as the beloved of God at his best and in his mess. That's who I want to be in 2020. In all of his ups and downs, it wasn't David's own self-built heart of gold that made him remarkable. It was that he set and then reset and then reset and then reset and then reset again his own heart to be one after God's own heart, which gives God permission to then shine the golden light and ways of his grace into David's heart and if you give him that permission, God can shine his own heart and fill your heart with his grace. And so if you're searching for that kind of a heart on your journey in life, wherever you are spiritually, journey with us this January to learn from the life of David in the, book of the, in, in the Bible. And how to center your search on the very heart of God and his gracious love for you. Because that is the most fundamental way to set the rest of your life in order. And to see it thrive from the heart, not just the externals. So what's the condition of your heart today? What is it? I, I can't know that. We hardly even know our own heart. That's something between you. And the God who made you, what is the condition of your heart? In what way could or could not it be said of you by God himself? That's a person after my heart. you consider that? Fun fact, uh, the backup vocals on Neil Young's original recording of Heart of Gold were sung by James Taylor and Linda Ronstadt. They just happened to be on the Johnny Cash show all together the night before in Nashville. And Neil Young's like, hey, I'm doing a thing tomorrow. You want to come sing? And so they did. I thought that was kind of cool. It may interest you to know that King David is mentioned in the Bible more than any other person. His name occurs three times more often than Abraham or Moses, including 58 times in the New Testament. Four entire books and 61 chapters in the Old Testament tell David's life story. David wrote at least 73 of the Psalms, the book of Psalms. He inspired them. And to this day, many parents name their children after him. How many people in this room are named David today? See, there, Exhibit A, right there. Uh, And for many reasons, but he's a key player in God's story, mainly because God said of him, like no one else, He's a man after my own heart. And yet, that's only one side of the story, actually. See, this is something very unique about the Bible among world sacred texts. The Bible never flatters its heroes. It tells the raw truth about everyone. If a person in God's story is a liar, the Bible says so. If the person's a crook, God's word just says it plainly. And so, according to one commentary, I'll show you this. The Bible trails the truth about people so that, against the backdrop of human frailty and failure, we can magnify the grace of God at work upon the platform of human weakness. I want my life to be that platform that magnifies God's grace. I want yours to be that way too. And so in learning about David, we're really learning about ourselves. In learning how God worked with David, we're learning how God works with us. And as the story begins, this is when David enters God's story. David is tending sheep on the rocky hills near Bethlehem in ancient Israel. Somewhere around the year of uh, 1100 to 1050 B.C. 1 Samuel 16 verse 1. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we'll just be in 1 Samuel 16 for the rest of this morning. The Lord said to Samuel... How long, Samuel was the the chief prophet in the nation of Israel at this time. He kind of heard the Lord and spoke for the Lord to God's chosen people, Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Uh, We need a little bit of background to, to really get Where we are in the story here. Who is Saul, who who is now being rejected as king over Israel? Well, Saul had been the people's choice to be the first king of Israel. If Israel had been a car lot, Saul was the Rolls Royce. They wanted a king. They were like, hey, we're led by a prophet. Every other nation is led by kings. We want a king like other nations and they pestered Samuel, the prophet. And so Samuel went to the Lord and was like, well, Lord, these people really want a king. And the Lord God said, fine, I'll give them a king. And no king had, could have had a better start than Saul. He was an impressive young man, tall, handsome, a born leader. And for a while, it was all wine and roses. Hey, this king thing is going well for us in Israel. Until something happened inside of Saul. His heart grew cold and proud in the role of king. And there was an impulsive streak that he began to indulge that made him act without thinking. And not just minor things, but big things. Like deliberate disregard for God's crystal clear instructions. And so the day came once when God said, I'm going to take the kingdom from Saul and give it to a new king who will be a man after my own heart. And and, and so this opened, if you noticed, the prophet Samuel is weeping over the failure of Saul's kingship. Samuel's weeping for himself. He was a party to all of this. Samuel weeps for the nation of Israel. Because Samuel loves his people and loves his God. And this is the people of God. and, And they are in disarray. Because the weaknesses and the failings of the leader at the top was causing the whole nation suffering. And so Samuel wept. But notice where verse 1 starts. God said, hey, fill up your horn with oil and be on your way. That's oil for anointing. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I'm the God who's always doing something new. I'm ready to start something new, even in the face of the disarray you're experiencing today. I've chosen someone else to be king. And this shows us there's a time to mourn, and then there's a time to get up and move forward. And it takes wise counsel to know when that tipping point is. But eventually we have to dry our tears because life moves on. And Samuel had done well to mourn for for Saul and for the nation. But the time had come to start something new. And when Samuel goes to Bethlehem, he doesn't know how God's choice will be revealed. God just says, hey, go to Bethlehem to the family of Jesse. Just go there. And this is a great key to discovering God's will for me and for you in 2020. If you want to know God's will for tomorrow, and a lot of you be like, yeah, I want to know God's will for tomorrow. Well, then get up, wash your face, brush your teeth, have a good breakfast, and go out the door and do God's will today. And in doing God's will today, you discover God's will for tomorrow. You see, while Saul was flaming out, God had already chosen who he would start with next. And it's an important thought to cling to even as Christians. When when one leader of the people of God fails, God does not fail nor do his purposes. If one person opts out of doing God's will even though they're a leader, God will find someone else. God is at work behind the scenes. What was God doing while Saul was self-destructing as king? God was preparing David Be king. Even then, David was a young boy. No one knew it but God. Samuel didn't know, Saul didn't know, Jesse didn't know, the dad, and David himself had no clue. And so, are you uncertain or worried about your future? Are one or two of you even in a state of panic, fearful over what might happen next? I want you to rest in these two words God knows. And while you worry, he's up ahead of you, ready for your new start. Wait on the Lord, listen for his voice, rest in him, and just take the next step in front of you. And the next start will be clear, as it became clear to Samuel in this moment. Fill your horn with oil, go to Jesse of Bethlehem, I've got a new king in mind. Now, in due course, Samuel makes his way to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, which scholars say believe the, the population of Bethlehem in that day was maybe no more than 200 people. And Samuel asks to see his boys. And, and the Bible doesn't say if Samuel told why he was there, but it doesn't matter. It was an honor for him to be there anyway. Samuel was the most famous leader in Israel at this point in time. So Jesse gladly calls his sons, verses 6 through 10. When Jesse called his sons together and they all arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. What a handsome man. But the Lord said to Samuel, and we don't know how this worked of God communicating to Samuel, but Samuel had a special dispensation of the Holy Spirit at this time in history. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Parents of teenagers, if you're looking for a theme verse to speak over and over to your teens this year, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Single adults, single again adults. This would be a fantastic theme verse for you in the year of 2020. Then Jesse called Abinadab, that's the second son. And had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord hadn't chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So the oldest son, Eliab, evidently he's a bit like Saul. Tall and handsome. And he must have impressed Samuel because Samuel's like, all right, God, good, I see why I'm now in Bethlehem at the house of Jesse. That guy looks like a king. Like, good job, God. You did good picking the house of Jesse because this guy's going to be great. He looks like it. And the Lord says, what are you talking about? That's not the one. And so the next son comes in. God says, nope. Next son comes in. God says to Samuel, nope. Next up, nope, 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 nope. nope. And Samuel is 0 for 7 in picking the next king of Israel. And he's bewildered. He came to anoint the new king, but he's nowhere to be found. You see, Samuel assumed in advance. When he saw Eliab, that he assumed he knew God's will. But he was dead wrong. Samuel was repeating the same mistake that the nation had made earlier. He wanted someone who he thought looked like a king. You see, Samuel assumed what had looked like God's will in his past would look like God's will in his new start. This reminds me uh, of a period of my life, uh, uh, of several years, when I was working my tail off in my late 20s as the assistant pastor at a growing church in Memphis. And my wife Angie's primary work in those years was being home raising our two preschool-aged diaper-wearing boys. And during this period, I kind of, uh, you know, we were still not, hadn't been married that long. And I was trying to figure out how to be a, a loving husband to my wife at this stage of life. And I, 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 what I figured out uh, was it involved two things right then. Number one, first, when I pulled into the garage of my car, after a long day, I was tired. To, I would, when I pushed the garage door opener button, I would pray a prayer. Okay, Lord. Um, I just finished my second most important job today, and I'm tired. But give me energy and focus to now do my most important job of loving the people in this house skillfully. Amen. And then, that was the first thing I would do. Then the second thing I'd do, when I would come into the kitchen from the garage, I learned I just needed Angie with no preamble, nothing, to ask her this question. Number one, would you like conversation with an intelligible adult right now? And, and I'll serve as that. Or number two, would you like me to take these two Tasmanian devils in diapers so that you can go to Starbucks or close the door to our bedroom and have some you time? Wh- which would you like to do? And when I would come in and just ask her those two questions, that communicated love to my wife Angie in those preschool years. And it took us a while and some communication to figure that out. But when we figured it out, in my opinion, I nailed it. I was like, man, being a good husband is like super easy. I just had to come home and ask that question, and then whichever one she says, I just do that. And she's like, my husband loves me. It was easy. But then the boys grew a few years older, and they went off to grade school. And my wife's needs from her husband changed. Like from the easy, okay, I got it figured out, to like she needed totally different stuff from me. And I come home, hey, here's the two questions. That's not doing it for me. Uh, All of a sudden, uh, that was now lame, and I had to make a new start as a husband to ask and understand what would communicate love to my wife at this new stage with new needs of her life. And I wonder what that might be for you today. You see, the prophet Samuel, he was like, well, the last king was the oldest child, tall, handsome dude. So the next king must be like that. Are you still trying to fulfill the will of God to love your husband or your wife or your child or your best friend or roommate the way they needed to be loved one or two life stages ago? Because it changes. It's time to start by opening your heart to God's will to love them today, this year, not last year. And no, you haven't built up credit for loving them well in the past. Love is a flower that must bloom afresh every season. It doesn't roll over. Trust me, I've learned that. You don't get credit for the past. Married folks in particular, a good start to your new year and the will of God for how you love the people closest to you with skillful intent would be in your most important relationship, go home, ask your spouse if you're married this question about their heart. Hey, Girl, dude, bro, what most communicates love to you in this season of life from me? And then zip it, take some notes, and then do precisely what they say until it becomes a habit. If you do so, you both will have a blessed 2020. Now there's something else really human about this scene here. Samuel should have learned from his experience with Saul. And we all have the the, the tendency to flirt with Eliab even though we've already been burned by Saul. We never seem to learn. We're impressed by outward success, looks, appearance, money, power, names, titles, connections, clothes, cars, boats, degrees. Those things are fine in and of themselves. But God looks at the heart. And the more we look at the heart, the more joy and peace we will find in our choice of friends, our choice of business partners, our choice of key employees, and our love interests. So remember, this chapter opened with Samuel, the prophet, weeping over how bad the choice of Saul to be king had turned out. I wonder when your choice of, hey, that looks good, feels good, it's quick money, I wonder when that's led you to weeping and grieving later. And going, I hope I don't choose another Saul. Start with a heart from now on. Verse 11. So Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. And all the youngest children in the room, you're like, Jesse, this is not cool. There's still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. This is like the pinnacle scene in the Star Wars movie. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. How many of you are youngest children in your family system? You know what's going on here. Uh, the firstborn comes along like, and gets everything he or she wants, which worked for me because I'm an oldest child. If you have a family photo album, you look back in it, the first 200 pictures are about the oldest child. The next 50 are for the second child, and then maybe 10 for the third child. And after that, if, if it's you, it's all group pictures from there. Right? <laughs> if you're a fifth child, y- your first picture in the album comes the day you graduate from high school. <laughs> and that's what's happening here. And this is how we meet David. Finally. All his brothers are with Samuel. David's out with the sheep doing the menial chores. And he doesn't know anything's even going on. His father didn't even think enough of him to call him in from the field. But Samuel's like, go get him. And, and, and Jesse must have shrugged and been like, well, whatever. But he's just a kid. I don't think he's what you're looking for. And in comes David straight from the pasture no shower, no change of clothes so he didn't exactly smell like Old Spice in this moment and there stands the future king of Israel there stands the lineage of our savior Jesus Christ he's maybe 14, 15 years old he's a shepherd, a poet, a dreamer we know he was a musician even then, out in the fields and he doesn't look like a king no matter God has found his appointed one. And and God communicates somehow to Samuel's highly tuned, empathic system of listening for God's voice. Anoint him. And Samuel does. And that moment, that didn't make David king. In fact, we're not 100% sure. I think it's probable that, that David and the family had an idea of what it meant. But the anointing was God's way of saying, this is my chosen one, and when the time comes... I'm starting a new plan. And interestingly, here in this first passage about David today, we never hear a word from David in this passage. Perhaps signifying that the sovereign intentions of God are more important than the temporal actions of men and women. And we just need to be cool with that and trust that because God is good as demonstrated through Jesus, his life, his words, and his death and resurrection on our behalf, because we trust that God is good and God is sovereign, we just be cool with that (laughs) and live God's revealed will for me today and tomorrow. Now, only one more detail is left in, in this first encounter. The Bible tells us at that moment, The Spirit of God came on David with power. And and we don't know all that that means, but we know this much. That the anointing was God's way of saying, you now have my power. And a day will come in the not too distant future when David will walk down. He's still not king. He'll walk down into the valley of Elah, where some of us like forest people walked one day, to face the giant Goliath. And it won't be David's wisdom that saves him or his education or his strategery. It'll be God himself fighting on David's side. And that's what the anointing and the coming of the Spirit really means. And as a Christian, you're given the Holy Spirit as an anointing in your life. And it means God is with you and will fight with you and for you. Now, perhaps David was thinking about this whole scene years later when he wrote in Psalm 2710, Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. You see, when God wanted to pick a leader for his people, he didn't choose the MVP. He chose the LVP, the least valuable player in Jesse's family. And yet the truth remains, when God wanted to raise up a king whose name would last 3,000 years, he went out in the pasture and found a shepherd whose heart was open to him. Uh, You know, today in Israel, their flag is called the Star of David. And when dignitaries visit Jerusalem, they stay in the King David Hotel. And Saul, the first king, he's been almost forgotten. And it was this day when David was anointed by God. And then, 1100 years later, another young Jewish man, also from the town of Bethlehem, stepped out of the wilderness and declared himself God's anointed in the line of David. And he was anointed by the Holy Spirit through the baptism of his cousin John the Baptist at the Jordan River. And his name is Jesus. And he revealed himself as God's anointed, but not just anointed as king, but also as savior. The word Messiah for Jesus, it literally means in the Hebrew, the anointed one. God's anointed. It's the same word used of King David. And Jesus, born in Bethlehem, the city of David, is God become man who came to be king of Israel. And Lord, it it said that over his crucifixion, but also king and Lord of our lives and of all Jesus came to be a king, but he also came to be a prophet, like Samuel, hearing and speaking God's words to us. And we now have it recorded in the Gospels. And he came not only to be a king and a prophet, Jesus also came to be our final necessary priest, interceding with a holy God on our behalf as unholy people. Living a sinless life. Giving that life as a ransom for our sin by dying on the cross. Rising from the dead to give us new and eternal life. And when you put your faith in Jesus, he makes you the anointed of God by anointing you with his Holy Spirit of God. And you can live as the anointed and step into that power. Friends, Jesus is the better or the completed David. Put all of your trust in Jesus to start this year. Please follow us as a follow with us, follow Jesus as a tribe this year. That's all we seek to do here. Three points of encouragement to start the year as we start the story of David. One, this is a start for those who feel confined, passed over, and trapped in a menial place. Be encouraged by David's example in 1 Samuel 16. Hey, when God wants to prepare us for bigger things, he first teaches us to be faithful in small things. Start small this year. Be faithful in the place God has assigned you. Because those who are called and anointed to be kings will not stay with the sheep forever. The world may be wrong in its estimation of you, but the voice of God still calls you today to step into your anointing and into your role in God's story. Often when God wants someone to be a king, he first puts them with the sheep. That's how God's kingdom works. And after Samuel's anointing, David went back to being a lonely shepherd doing menial work in the wilderness. Probably that afternoon, he shoveled sheep poop. (laughs) But David would not stay there forever. Sooner or later, he will be called to the throne. And if you find yourself forgotten, overlooked, remember David on the hillside that afternoon. Be faithful. Do what God has given you to do. Start there. And keep your eyes facing forward. Who knows what God will start tomorrow in your life. Number two, there's a hope for a new start for those who are confused about the future. Samuel had no idea which son would be chosen as king when he was on his way to Bethlehem. But he got up and went there anyway. And David didn't have a clue about what life would hold for him. He simply came to the house when instructed and stood silent while Samuel anointed him. God's will, friends, is like a sunrise, not a sunburst. It reveals itself to us a little at a time. And our job is to take the next step, And be faithful in that step and trust God for the future. What is your step and what does faithfulness to God mean for you here at the start of the year? In due time, God will make the rest of the way plain. You can count on him. Third, there's encouragement for those who wonder when God will start God's better plan. Israel was in a mess. Our world today, it feels like it's in a mess. Just our country, let alone the rest of the world. And Israel's future seemed bleak when Samuel got up that morning. But this passage teaches us that humanity's disobedience cannot stop God's plans. God will have his way in the end because he's a good and a sovereign God. And so you and I beware of prejudging God based on what we see with our eyes. We see this little bit and that detail and this tiny bit here, and we think, "I I think I've got the big picture. But we don't. We barely see the ragged edge of God's plan. Don't judge God by what you can see. Judge God by God's salvation activity as recorded in the Bible in the past, and judge God by his promises in Scripture. In particular, judge God by the core promise of the resurrected Jesus, the Savior and Messiah, from the house of David and the line of Jesse. Trust Jesus' promise that his resurrection was the start of God making all things new that will be completed when Jesus returns. And he judges, or the the word of the New Testament means separates all evil sin and suffering from God's reality. And he will usher in his kingdom of truth, justice, grace, and peace and wipe away every tear. Trust his promise. Verse 7 reminds us that we tend to look on the outside but that God starts with the heart. He looks at our heart. Saul looked the part but David had the heart. One was rejected, the other selected. One blew his chance, the other became a leader for the ages. Because in the end, what others think of you right now doesn't matter. What God thinks makes all the difference. And you know what God thinks of you? You I'd like to tell you, Christian. If you're a Christian, he sees you as his beloved son or daughter in whom he is well pleased. Because of Christ in you by faith. That's your identity in Christ and it's God's grace to you. And it makes all the difference. But how about when it comes to your side of the equation? Our thoughts about ourselves, our behaviors. When God looks at your heart this new year, what does he see? When we study David's life in its total perspective, many of you in the room know the rest of the story. And considering the bad with the good in his life, we could fairly question, did it God know the trouble David was going to get into? How could God call a man like that to be king? Didn't God know about all his later political maneuvering? Yes, God knew. Didn't God know about his multiple political marriages of convenience that would come? Yes, God knew. Didn't God know that he was going to have an affair with Bathsheba? Yes. Didn't God know he would be complicit in a murder? Yes. Didn't God know that he was prone to depression and discouragement? Yes. Didn't God know David's own family at the end of his life would disintegrate? Yes, God knew all those things and a lot more. And that's what grace is all about. God knew what David would do and called him anyway. Because all of those things were overwhelmed by one prior fact. God chose David. And God will stand by God's choice. Christian, if you have experienced God, choosing you as his son or daughter by faith in Jesus, know that God stands by his choice of you and his pleasure in you, that he is well pleased by you, no matter what. Live from that approval, not for God's approval. You already have it. And we say, David, with all that junk in your life, how can you claim to be a man after God's own heart? David answers very simply, clearly, and you already know it. In the words that he wrote, the first verse of Psalm 23. He said, "Here's my answer. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." When it comes to his plan for my life, my identity, I don't want for anything. That's God's grace in action. And aren't you glad it was a man like David that who wrote Psalm 23? He he was a man who had experienced the immense grace of God. He depended on the grace of God as revealed to him in the old covenant. And we depend today on the grace of God as made clear and actionable through the new covenant, through Jesus Christ. And we're learning from David's life this month so that couples whose children rebel. Believers who've squandered many opportunities. People who make the same Dumb mistakes, it seems, over and over again. Teenagers who feel forgotten and lonely. Doubters who've wandered with little faith for years. We study this life of David so that everyone whose life that's been less than perfect will know God can be your shepherd too. And we can live as a woman or man after God's heart regardless. And in the end, I agree with one writer who says... David was a man who thoroughly learned the most basic lesson in God's curriculum, that all of life is lived by grace. And that that is the meaning of the phrase, a man after God's heart. That the most basic lesson in God's school is all of life is lived by grace. And it can't mean sinless perfection. It can't mean beyond reproach or spotless reputation, because that ain't David. To be a man, a woman... Teenager after God's heart means that you under, because you understand God never gives up on you, you never give up on God. And you return again and again to him being your shepherd. The bottom line for David is God's grace. Not his unfitness to be king, his unlikeliness, nor his sin. It's God's grace. His heart longed, belonged to God. And that's why God used him. And as one noted author writes, King David is exhibit A in the museum of God's grace. And I ask you, would you be God's next exhibit of his grace in his museum of grace in 2020? In the beginning of his story, no one believes in David but God. Not Jesse, not Samuel, only God. And in the end, his family broken, his nation troubled, his close friends mostly gone... He discovers God is still there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David writes, I will fear no evil. God never gave up on David. That's grace. And David never gave up on God. That's what it means to be a man after God's own heart. Will you be that person in 2020? Let's pray. Friends, I ask you again, what's the condition of your heart toward God? this moment is it open or closed is it hard or soft friend what do you believe god may have in store for you in 2019 where are you asking for a start or where might you be lo- be faithful today and have eyes wide open for when god will make a new start in your life offer that to him now Have you recognized and walked into the anointing that you have as a Christian in the Holy Spirit and dare to dream in the power of the Spirit about what God may do in your future and then co-create it with Him as you're faithful in the small things first? Oh Lord, we trust in Jesus Christ alone and we will live by your grace this year. We pray with you as our Shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship him now.